that the theme of the book of Ephesians is the church. That the church is God's instrument, it's by His design, His purpose, that it be in existence. The entire letter, the first three chapters, are devoted to giving us some perspective and understanding of, of the church as God's instrument in this earth. And how he's brought it into existence and, and how you and I become members of the church. And so as Paul lays all that out, then the, the second three chapters are primarily application. They are, once you understand the doctrine of the church, then as a member of the church, how do you live out your life? And how do you participate in the life of the church? How do we live today as Christians, as members of the body of Christ? Now last week, you remember that we said that the, the only truly reliable evidence of salvation is not just a past experience of confessing Jesus, but it's a very present reflection of him in our life today. The question we have to ask ourselves is, does my life reflect Jesus Christ? When people meet me, do they see in me Christ? The people around me who knew me before and know me now, do they see a, a transformation? And is that transformation in terms of Jesus Christ? So that's the question. It's not just a matter of saying, I'm a Christian. It's a matter of demonstrating and revealing, reflecting Christ in our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian. Bottom line. That's the substance of Christianity. Paul has told us that we are no longer what we once were. Isn't that glorious news? If you are a born-again Christian, you are no longer what you once were. You are something wonderfully different, magnificently different. You have been created, the Bible says, as a brand new creature. You have been born again. You've been given a whole new life, a whole new future. And we've covered that in, in great length in the past. We are indeed new creatures. And what did we say last week about new creatures? New creatures act like new creatures. Ah, oh, you remembered that. That's wonderful. On top of it, it's in your notes, too. So, <laughs> New creatures act like new creatures. And that's, again, part of this understanding of who we are in Christ, that I am a Christian, that I'm a new creature, and hence... I should act like a new creature. And in the passage under discussion, the passage we're looking at, uh, and indeed all the rest of the letter of Ephesians, has to do with how we live out that new creaturehood. How Christ is reflected in our life, both male and female. And we'll get into marriage in the next uh, month or so, and, and you'll see that more clearly in those passages. Therefore, we are to, Paul says, put off the old. Because the old is dead. We're to put on the new. We're to put off the old because the old is totally counter to, it is destructive to the life, the fellowship, and the unity of the body of Christ. Remember, we are one in Christ. We're members of each other. We're members of the glorious body of Christ. That's what the church is. 
The church just isn't an organization. It's not just a human institution. The church is a divinely created organism. It's alive. It's a living, vibrant body. And the Bible calls it the body of Christ. And you and I are members of the body of Christ. And hence, there is a unity to that. And that unity is only enhanced as we walk in this new life. If we continue to walk in the old life, if we, if we do the old things, that is destructive to the fundamental, to the foundational doctrine of the church. The doctrine of the church is the doctrine of unity. Are you hearing me? This is so important. When you think of the church of Jesus Christ, we ought to be thinking about unity, about being one together. We're intertwined. We're interdependent. And anything that is of the old life is destructive to that unity. Hence, Paul says, put off the old and put on the what? The new. Put on the new. Now, this is certainly Paul's concern at this point. Because in Ephesus, and certainly in the church in every age, as well as today, people are very independent. People come into the church and they, they become believers, they become Christians, brand new Christians. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They don't know how to walk. Much as a newborn babe is born into the world, it has to be trained up and taught, raised up by its parents, doesn't it? The older brothers and sisters who've, who've kind of gone ahead, so to speak. And the same thing is true for new Christians. And Ephesus is full of brand new Christians. And they've been immersed in a culture, in a society that is incredibly antagonistic to the church and to the things of God. You've got this little tiny church, a small group of believers in one of the major cities in Asia Minor, which is indeed the major capital and center of pagan worship. And so you've got this little group. They need instruction. You don't become a Christian already fully ready to go. I mean, in terms of being, having all of it together. And so we come into the church. And so Paul instructs these believers, as well as us, how to live our life. Now, people come along and they say, well, okay, I hear what you're saying. I'm to put off the old and to put on the new. Where do I start? How do I do that? Well, we looked at the first element last week, and the first element was what? Put off what? Falsehood. Put off all falsehood. Lying of any kind, any sort, any kind of deception. Put it off. And put on what? Being truthful. Telling the truth. Let me ask you this. Did anybody get anything out of that last week? <laughs> A few of you. Wonderful. Okay. Now remember, putting off the old and putting on the new is a process of what? What did we say that was? When you become a Christian, is, is everything automatically all well with you? No. no. You've just entered into what? What do we call it? A fight of what? A fight of faith. It is a fight of faith. It is a day-to-day, moment-by-moment fight of faith. I am a new creature. Now remember, the world is arrayed against you. 
Before you became a Christian, you loved the world, the world loved you. You were immersed in it, everything was okay, you had no problems in terms of, of, of uh, uh, philosophical conflict or uh, moral conflict necessarily. You were part of the world. But now you become a Christian. Now you're, you're not part of the world anymore. You're in the world, but you're not of it. Not only that, but your flesh. Before you became a Christian, your flesh was your flesh. You followed it, you listened to it, you did everything it wanted. Discipline it, heavens no. Never, th- never think about it. Don't do anything to make yourself uncomfortable. But you become a Christian, and now all of a sudden your flesh is a real pain. Can anybody relate to that? And then, of course, you have the devil. There's a real being, the absolute total personification of all evil. The most vile, despicable, wicked, evil, murderous being in existence. The devil. Satan himself with hordes of demonic beings under his control that do his bidding. And they are also all arrayed against you. You've got the world, the flesh, and the devil arrayed against you. Aren't you excited? That ought ought not to trouble you. Who's for you? God. God. God is for you. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But you see, we're called to a walk of what? Faith. We're called into a warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're called to walk that walk of faith. And it is a fight of faith. Did we establish that firmly last week? When you're tempted to lie, when you're tempted to falsehood, and that happens a lot, doesn't it? It sometimes is a real fight to tell the truth, isn't it? And sometimes it's costly to tell the truth, isn't it? It's a fight of faith. God's there. I know it. The Bible says he loves me. The Bible says he's taken me to heaven. The Bible says he's making me in the image of his son. And I'm going to walk and I'm going to walk and I'm going to walk this walk of faith. So the very first way that you put off the old and put on the new is do away with falsehood. I mean, that solves so many problems. (laughs) Think about it. You quit lying to yourself. You quit lying to other people. And you quit lying to God. I mean, he already knows, doesn't he? Just imagine. You put off all deception, all falsehood. Would that make a tremendous difference in your life? Incredible difference. Now, if you weren't here last week and you didn't hear the message, get the tape because it's very, very instructive, very significant that you hear the things that uh, the Lord shared with us last week about putting off falsehood. It's now that Paul turns to the second area of problem, the second area of difficulty. He turns to the question of anger now in verse 26. We'll look at verses 26 through 28 tonight. He says, put off falsehood, put on the truth. And now he turns to the second area, and this is anger. This is a very common source of sin It's a very common source of disruption, not only in the life of individual believers, but in the life of the fellowship of the life of the church. 
Anger, just like falsehood, is a very, very common problem. If you're going to put off the old and put on the new, it involves not only putting off falsehood, but also learning how to put off unrighteous anger, how to change from being unrighteously angry to being righteously angry. Now let's, let's look at this. I want you to read with me verse uh, 26 and 27. Actually, those are the two verses we're going to cover tonight. Paul writes, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So we're to change. And the, 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 the basic issue here is, is to change from unrighteous anger to righteous anger. Now let's talk about this for a minute. Let me ask you this question. What do you think he means when he says, in your anger, do not sin? Does he mean that, if you, that you shouldn't get angry? I mean, there are a lot of people who really struggle with it. A lot of people who become Christians or they're raised in a Christian home and they're taught that you shouldn't, Christians shouldn't be angry. I've come across it a lot in people's lives. And they've, they've carried a whole bunch of guilt and a, and a tremendous burden of anxiety because they've been taught, they really believe, that as a Christian they should not get angry. Now the passage here, when Paul says this, in your anger do not sin, you need to know that literally in the Greek, it's, in the, it's a very interesting construction. I'll get real technical with you here for a minute. It's a permissive imperative and a permissive imperative simply is translated this way. You can be angry. You can be angry. Literally, the Greek is be wrathful. Because the word for anger in that passage is, is the word we translate as wrath. Be wrathful. But don't sin. So we have permission, if you will, to be angry but still not sin. There are certain contexts in which we can express a righteous anger. Does it mean if you can't get rid of your anger, when he says do not sin, does that mean that you just kind of suppress it, suppress it, suppress it, suppress it, until you can't suppress it anymore, and then what do you do with it? No, that's not what he means. That's not what he means. We can be angry in certain contexts. It's legitimate. There is such a thing as a righteous anger. But we, we must never, we must never be angry in a sinful or unrighteous way. And we'll describe some of those in just a minute. But let me talk to you for just a second about anger. Because there is a right kind of anger. Now, anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's not a sinful thing. It's a God-given, natural, human instinct. And God has given it to us so that it could be a capacity within us that would result in our 
being roused against evil, against unrighteousness, against sin. That's the intent for anger, that we'd be aroused appropriately against that which is wrong, that which is evil, that which is unrighteous. And so sin, uh, anger in itself is not a, a, a bad thing. Now we should always be angry at sin, right? We should be really indignant at it. We should be angry at that which is evil, unrighteous. How do you feel when uh, someone, an innocent party, if you will, suffers a horrible injustice and uh, they have no right of retrieval? Has, has justice been served in that scene? Do you feel good about that? Or do you feel indignant over that? Are you angry because that has happened? You see, that's a righteous kind of anger. Are you angry at sin in your own life? Do you have a righteous anger, indignance against it? Let me show you some passages which will kind of point up and give you a feeling for a, a right kind of anger. The kind of anger that Paul is describing. In Mark chapter 3, there's a very instructive passage. Mark chapter 3, in verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, Mark writes this. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, meaning the his enemies, the Pharisees, and so forth, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus so they watched him closely to see if he would, they would, he would heal this man on the Sabbath. They watched him closely. They didn't let him out of their sight. Can you imagine? They're always dogging Jesus' heels, watching him closely. That's always intrigued me. They watched him closely, but they never really saw. You know, they never really saw Anyway, Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I mean, just stand right up here. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Well, they are on the horns of a dilemma now. They remain silent. Now look at this. Verse 5. He looked around at them. How? In anger. Why did he look around at them in anger? Mark goes on to say, and he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Their particular bias would not allow mercy to be shown on the Sabbath. I mean, if any day mercy ought to be shown, it ought to be shown when? On the Sabbath. You see, they'd gotten everything all backwards. But because of their stubbornness and their hardened hearts and their unwillingness to minister as God had instructed them originally to minister, Jesus looked around them and, and he was angry. Righteously angry. And greatly distressed. Over in John chapter 2 and then there's a, another passage in Matthew 21. Let me just paraphrase them for you. You won't have to turn there. Both accounts are of cleansing the temple in Jerusalem. Now there are two different occasions. John chapter 2 is the occasion when Jesus in his first year of ministry goes into Jerusalem. And then the, the Matthew passage is the second time he cleanses the temple toward the end of his life, just the week before he dies. 
Both times he goes into the temple. How does he go into the temple? Cheerful? Excited? Warmly embracing what was going on there? How did he go in there? He was fried, wasn't he? I mean, he was really upset. Why? Well, because they turned his house into a den of thieves. That's what he says. He says, my house should be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. You've turned it into a place where robbery is occurring. You see, they had ripped off the Gentiles because all the business transactions were going on in the court of the Gentiles, and thereby the Gentiles could not approach God. And you know how the, the Jews at that particular point felt about the Gentiles, and vice versa. So Jesus goes in there, and he's just really upset, and he overturns the tables. He makes a whip. He starts chasing the animals out and, and just all, wreaks havoc. Upsets the business. Get some people upset at him. It's going to result in his death. But he's righteously angry at the injustice, at the sin, and the unrighteousness that's going on, at the very evil that's going on. His anger is pointed at those things. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Do you remember what Paul said there? He says, The wrath of God is being revealed at what? At all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What's God, what's God angry at? Sin, evil, unrighteousness, wickedness. And he's going to reveal his wrath against all those who suppress the truth of him and of true righteousness. And they suppress it through their wickedness. That's a righteous anger, a righteous indignation. Look over with me at 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Page 1184. See if you guys all had NIVs, you could get there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and look at verse 10 and 11 with me. Godly sorrow brings repentance. What kind of sorrow? Godly sorrow. I've offended God. A sorrow that really strikes down deep and says, God, I've offended you and I am really sorry. Not a sorrow just because you got caught. Not a sorrow because something was just bad. The sorrow because God was offended. It's that kind of sorrow that leads to real repentance, a real turning around. If there's no turning around, there's no godly sorrow in the first place. There's no genuine repentance. So godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. I mean, you could preach a whole sermon just on that verse. And leaves no regret. A person's set free. When they're really saved, they're set free. There's no regret. They understand what it means to have been forgiven and cleansed. There's no regret. But worldly sorrow brings what? Death. You see, it's not a sorrow that's effective. Worldly sorrow only brings death. It, it's, it fools you. Now look at verse 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. 
what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. Now look at the next phrase. What indignation. You see this stuff in your life and you're just, you're indignant over it. You're angry over it. What's this doing in my life? I hate this. Not just because it's destructive, not just because it leads to death, but because it's offensive to him. You gonna get a feeling for righteous anger? Are you righteously angry at sin in your life? Beloved, we should always be angry. We should always be indignant against and about sin, evil, injustice, uh, immorality, godlessness of every sort. And especially when we see it in our own lives. There, we can't afford to be complacent. We can't afford to be complacent about sin. We've got to be ruthless as we put off the old and as we put on the new. Are you with me? We've got to be ruthless. We're putting off the old, putting on the new. It's a fight of faith. It requires great conviction. It requires great commitment to continue in that walk of faith. Now, none of us do it perfectly. That's not an excuse. But when we fall short, we've got to get back up and go to our Father and say, Father, I have fallen short. Please forgive me. And then believe by faith He's forgiven us. And we are to receive that forgiveness and say thank you. Because when you say thank you, it's all done. You know. But we're not to leave any room in our life for these kinds of things. So let's get away from sin. Let's be angry over sin, angry over evil, be roused over it. Do not allow ourselves any longer to live the old way. So we looked briefly at a, at a right kind of anger. There's a wrong kind of anger. Let me describe this for you in kind of general terms. A wrong way to be angry. This is what Paul is talking about. You turn from this wrong way, and if you're going to be angry, be angry in a right way. What's a, a wrong way? What's an unrighteous anger like? What's a sinful anger like? Well, first of all, it's, a sinful anger is, you see it in a person who is bad-tempered, ill-tempered. A person who is um, irritable, an irritable sort of a person. Do you know anybody like that? People who are irritable, bad-tempered. Now, all of us find ourselves in occasions where we're irritable. Isn't that true? I mean, you come home, it's been a long day, you're tired, you know, and all of a sudden just somebody says something and you snap. <laughs> irritable. But if you look into your life and you see that day after day after day after day, if you see yourself getting angry over those kinds of things, little things, if you look at yourself and you say, Lord, am I a bad-tempered person? Then what's happening is you've got to learn to put that off. And, and if you're going to be angry, put on a different kind of anger. Because that's a sinful, unrighteous anger. Some people say, well, oh, but I was, see, I was born that way. That's my, that's my nature to be that way. Well, I've 
would respond to that. And they'd say, well, if you are a Christian, you have been born again. <laughs> You've been given a new nature. The old nature has passed away, and now you need to, to live out the, the new nature. New creatures act like new creatures, you see. And so if you, can, you no longer use that as an excuse. Well, I was born that way, you see. You are reborn a new way. Isn't that exciting? There's a second kind of sinful anger. And that is a person who is not just irritable or bad-tempered, but a person who is easily provoked or easily angered. Easily angered. And a man who is easily angered or easily provoked is bound to fall into sin frequently. Do you know somebody like that? You see it in your own life? Are you easily provoked? Are you easily angered? Can people really, can people get your goat? Do they know where your goat is tied up? Do they? You're constantly hiding your goat because you're afraid someone's going to get it. You're a brand new person. You don't need to hide the goat. You don't even need to have a goat. You know the most glorious thing about love? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. And we're not talking about romantic love. We're talking about God's love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You know the most glorious thing about love? Love is not easily angered. You love somebody with the love of the Lord, you will not be easily angered toward that person. Isn't that interesting? Yes. See, any kind of anger that is excessive, that is violent, that is uncontrolled, that is self-defensive, that is self-serving, that is resentful, any kind of anger like that is sinful anger. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. He said, you have, you have heard it said that you shall not murder. He says, but I say to you, if you're angry in your heart towards your brother, you've already done it. You've already murdered him. You see, it's that kind of, of anger, that kind of anger that can become uncontrolled, that can really lead to murder. That kind of resentment that can really, and certainly not a physical murder, but some kind of devastation, huh? And how many people are carrying anger and resentment in themselves, and they're not killing another person necessarily, they're killing themselves. We had a woman last night in a prayer room, till what, 11.30 last night? Praying for this woman. And she had buried in her all kinds of anger, all kinds of resentment. And these things were working their way out in her physical body. She had excruciating pain in her back. Nobody could help her. Beloved, I, I am absolutely convinced that so many of our physical ailments, from, from pains to... to and it's destroying us. And we wonder why when we pray for people, our prayers have no help. Our prayers don't make any difference. 
We're just, we're praying for a specific thing to happen, but God wants to heal the whole person internally too. And that can only happen when we allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. That can only happen when the Holy Spirit comes in and we say, illuminate those, find those hurtful ways in me. Expose them. And that takes great courage. That's part of the fight of faith. And as the Holy Spirit exposes and illuminates these things, then we're able to have godly sorrow. We're able to truly repent. We're able to be cleansed. And you know what? I... I'm amazed at how many people have experienced tremendous physical healings in their life because of repentance. It's no accident that James says, when he says, we call for the elders, and the elders will anoint you with oil and pray, and the prayer of the, of the righteous will do much. Oh, and by the way, if you have sinned, confess your sins. There's no accident that that's in there. An unrighteous, sinful anger, resentful anger, that can kill and it's killing people in the church. And if we're to be born-again people, if we're to live out this newness of life, we've got to put those things off. And if we're going to be angry, we're going to be angry with a righteous anger and not sin. Are you hearing me? And not sin. Proverbs chapter 14 let me just read this to you. It's, it's verse 17. I think in your notes it's verse 7, but it should be verse 17. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. For anger resides in the lap of fools. What resides in the lap of fools? Anger. He's talking about unrighteous anger. He's saying don't be quickly provoked. Don't be provoked quickly to anger. Unrighteously so. In Titus, the qualifications for leader in the church. He's not to be a quick-tempered man or woman, but a person who is, what, gentle. A person who knows how to control their temper. Knows how to deal with it. The moment you are given over to sinful anger, the moment you let it come in and control you, the moment you're controlled by it, you are no longer able to reason. You're no longer able to think straight. You're no longer able to give a balanced judgment. Do you find that to be true? I mean, is the minute you let your temper take over, you do things, you say things, you see things going out of your mouth that you're going, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Anybody relate to that? We said earlier in the evening that, that, that the power of life and death is in the tongue, isn't it? We've destroyed people with our tongues, haven't we? I, I guarantee you, for everybody in this room, everybody in this room, you can probably recall an occasion right now, if you think, you probably don't have to think very hard, where if you had to do it all over again, boy, if you could get those words back, you'd have never said them. 
You'd have never said them. Why? But why'd you say them? Because you were uncontrolled. You found yourself in a situation where you were provoked. And you were provoked to a sinful anger. And out of your mouth came what was in your heart. And it wasn't good. And it wasn't edifying. And very often, those words can be so destructive that even though they may be forgiven, and many times they are, you ask for forgiveness, you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that, and I, I know I finished, please forgive me, and there's forgiveness given, there's still often wounds and scars left over. So, beloved, we've got to be really careful about, as we live this life of faith, it's a fight of faith. Put on the new. Put off the old. Get rid of any kind of unrighteous, sinful anger. Now, when do, we, when do we deal with this? How do we deal with it? Well, anger is real simple to deal with. Just like any emotion. Undoubtedly, you, as, as well as I, have encountered people, maybe you've said this yourself, you're really upset. I mean, you're burning. And some person you're involved with, they say, uh, how are you feeling? Fine. <laughs> you ever do that? Is everything okay? Everything is fine. <laughs> I mean, they're burning inside. They're angry inside. They're not in touch, are they? They're setting themselves up for more problems and more grief. You know what the best thing to do? is to acknowledge it. I am angry. Now, even if it's an unrighteous, sinful anger, it's always best to admit to it. That's confession. I'm angry. Confess it. And guess what? Let yourself feel it. You don't have to express it. If you feel like you really have to express it, you can express it to guess who? He's big enough. He can handle it. Most people probably wouldn't be able to handle it. But you don't have to really express it. I mean, there's a whole cult of people going around today saying, oh, just pour it out. Just say whatever you're feeling. Just tell them what you feel. Oh, I'm mad at so-and-so. Well, you ought to go tell them. Don't do that. You only make the problem worse. You got to tell somebody, tell God. Let yourself acknowledge, acknowledge what's going on inside of you, and let yourself feel it. You know what? Because you'll diffuse it. You'll, you'll diffuse it. Now, if it's been unrighteous anger, confess it as sin. Say, Father, I've been angry, and I've been sinfully angry. I've been wrong. I've been trying to justify myself. Da 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 da. Please forgive me. And He will. The Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all the unrighteousness. And then when he does, say thank you. Receive it and move on. Deal with it right away. Don't put it off. I talked to this guy. I said, well, listen, you've got some really sinful, unrighteous anger here, and you need to repent of it right away. He says, no, I'm going to go pray about that. Wait a minute. Paul doesn't say pray about it. He says what? Put it off. Put it off. When should I put it off? Before you go to bed. Don't go to bed 
Don't let the sun set while you're still angry. Don't take it to bed with you. You know why? Because you wake up, you still got to face it. And it's worse in the morning. It's harder in the morning. It is. I find that in my own life. It's harder. You don't get any sleep. You're just tossing and turning over it. You might as well just get it done before you go to bed. That's the only thing that makes sense. You're stupid not to. I mean, really, I mean, it only makes sense. And that's the instruction. When should you deal with it? When should you put it off? Right away. Don't keep long accounts. Keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Very, very important. Deal with your anger right away. Don't let the sun go down on it. Don't take it to bed with you. Because when you do take it to bed with you, you open the door of opportunity to guess who? Satan himself. Demons are all around. You've got to know this. Demons are all around. They are just looking for an opportunity to get into your life. They're looking for a chink in the armor. They're looking for, what's the word that Paul uses? A what? A foothold? He says, don't let the sun set while you're still angry. And don't give him a foothold. Because if you let the sun set, if you take anger, resentment, bitterness, uh, all that stuff to bed with you, he's going to have a field day while you're asleep. He's going to have a field day with you. He's going to come in and he's going to stir up more confusion, more resentment, more anger, more bitterness. It's like you got a little cavity. You know how the dentist drills out that little cavity to get ready to fill it? If Satan comes in and he just keeps drilling on it and drilling on it and drilling on it, it makes it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And don't things really get blown out of proportion when you let yourself go to bed and hold this stuff in and harbor it? You know where that's coming from? That's coming right out of the pit of hell. So he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and give the devil a foothold. And here's another thing. Even the best motivated anger, listen to this, even the best motivated anger can sour. Whether it's righteous or unrighteous anger, in either case, don't take it to bed with you. Either way, don't say, well, this is a righteous anger and I, I, don't, I can just kind of live with this. I can feed it. I can nourish it. I can harbor it. No. No. Even a righteous anger, don't take it to bed with you. Even a righteous resentment, don't take it to bed with you. Get rid of it before you go to bed. Otherwise, even that can sour and Satan can use that in your life. And he indeed will take advantage of it and he will feed that anger, he'll feed that resentment with self-pity, with pride, self-righteousness, vengeance, defense of our rights. Isn't that a good one? Well, I have my rights. They can't say that to me. They can't do that to me. And every other sort of selfish sin. So there's a difference between 
unrighteous and righteous anger. We're to put off the unrighteous anger, and in certain contexts we are to be angry, but with a righteous anger. But whichever it is, don't take it to bed with you. Deal with it right away, and don't give the devil a foothold. Amen? All right. Let's pray, and next week we're going to pick up on the next section and look at that in some detail. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the unity of the church. We thank you for the oneness, the body of Christ. We thank you that Jesus lives in, in the congregation by your Spirit. We thank you that he lives in the church universal by your Spirit. And Father, we thank you for the doctrine of the unity of the church. As Paul teaches us these things, as, as he does, Lord, impress upon us the incredible need, the absolute importance to put off the old and indeed put on the new. For you have made us new creatures and you intend for us to live that way. Lord, I pray that you would shine the light of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Open us up. Reveal to us any hidden deceptions, falsehoods, Reveal to us, Father, any hidden anger or bitterness, resentment. No matter how we may try to justify it in our humanness, just open us up and show us, Lord, how destructive these things are. Not only to ourselves, they're offensive to you, and they're destructive to the unity of the body. Lord, help us to see these things, and help us to hate them, and to put them off with all of our strength, with all of our might. Lord, we again affirm and commit our life to you, and we say we love you tonight. And our lives shall reflect it this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's have the ushers come and receive our offerings. Now, listen, if you're sick, if you're hurting... I want to encourage you to go back to the prayer room. We have some pastors who are going to be back in the prayer room. And you've got to know that in the back of everybody's mind, in your mind and that pastor's mind, is going to be some questions. And they're going to ask you some questions. What's been going on in your life? Don't you be afraid, don't be intimidated to say, you know, I'm angry at somebody. I've been angry at somebody for a long time. Because that very well may be a cause of some problems in your life. If you've got some, some areas, some blocks, I want you to go back to the prayer room and ask one of those pastors to, to pray with you, to anoint you with oil. And, and the prayer of the Bible says of a righteous man can do much if you're open and willing to confess your sin if there is sin in your life. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.